0: Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. <clears throat> Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter thirteen. Hebrews chapter thirteen is where we're going to be at today. Uh, that's where we left off last week. We're going to go to the very next verse, uh, which is verse four, Hebrews chapter thirteen, and we are going to be uh, just in one verse today, verse four. And uh, I think you were prepped earlier about uh, what what our topic of discussion is going to be today. Our topic of the scriptures, and let me just give you a brief kind of explanation about why um, we at Lincoln Avenue feel feel a need to uh, to preach all of the scriptures. I I uh, started going to church when I was about eight years old. My dad was saved when he was twenty eight, and I do not remember a time. Uh, of course, the kid just been I wasn't paying attention. That is a very real possibility. But I don't remember a time. Uh, In my growing up that I heard a sermon on marriage or sexual morality or uh, uh, really anything related to that. And uh, one of the things that that, uh, the other pastors and I are convinced of is that we need God's word. We need to know what he thinks. We desperately in our nation, our country, our community, our family, we desperately need the Word of God. Jesus himself said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we believe that. We believe that we need his Word in order to navigate through life. And so we are going to take very seriously what the Bible says, and we're going to try to teach it faithfully. And so uh, today we're in one verse, um, picking up where we left off last week, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Father, we ask for your help today as we look at your word, as we seek to obey it and to embrace it and to believe it. Uh, God, we want to see life as you see it. We want to see truth. Uh, God, we want to respond in obedience to all that you have written, knowing that Jesus, you never let us down. So, Father, I pray for help. I pray for clarity of of speech for me. God, help me to speak only what is true. Uh, Help me to communicate effectively. Father, I pray for uh, your work in our hearts today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, let me give you a little context. Last week, we jumped into chapter 13, which is kind of the practical chapter of the, uh, the rest of the book of Hebrews. And uh, i gave give you a long introduction. I'm going to shorten that way down and basically kind of give it to you again, but in a very brief version. You're all saying, why didn't you do that last week as well? Uh, but here, here's the brief version of last week. Uh, last week's introduction. When we go into chapter 13 and we start having these commands, love your brother, be hospitable, uh, visit the prisoner, let marriage be held in honor, don't love money. You know, what we don't want to think of, what we don't want to think of is, okay, God is giving us a list of dues, okay? So here, here, if, if I want to be right with God, if I want to have a relationship with God, if I want to be... Um, if I want to go to heaven, then what I need to do is start going through this list. You know, love brother. Okay, I'll be nice to so-and-so. And uh, show hospitality. All right, we'll have somebody over. You know, uh, remember the prisoners. Okay, I'll you know. And go check, 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 check. Now I'm, I'm good. I'm good with God. That is not at all the message of Hebrews, okay? The message of Hebrews was 12 chapters saying the work of Jesus is what matters, okay? It's, it is the shed blood of Jesus. It is the atoning sacrifice of Jesus it is the high priestly ministry of Jesus it, it is the intercession in the heavens right now on our behalf from our Savior and King who is better than anything Jesus it is by his work and his life and his death that we are made right with God okay and chapter 11 kind of culminated that with and we are joined to his work we are joined to the ministry of Jesus by faith and by faith alone okay so without faith it's impossible to please God so we're joined to Jesus by faith and it is his work on which we stand so we've got the work of Jesus as the foundation, and now, as we, if, if you today have put your faith in Jesus and been connected to Jesus by faith, now we, we seek to live out these commands, to be who God created us to be, for Him to make us like His Son through His power, through His Spirit, through our connection to Jesus Christ. All right, we're all on the same page there? So so we're resting on the gospel as we seek to obey his commands. And, and I also want you to see that today we're really not in a new topic. We're really just in, in, in the same topic we were last week. Last week we saw that loving your brother, okay, our relationships with one another. So as we stand on the gospel, as we embrace the work of Jesus, that will fundamentally change how we relate with one another. okay. And it's going to be a fundamental difference in how we see, treat, care for relate with one another now marriage is not a separate thing from that really marriage is, is kind of in the middle of that okay so when i think about living out my christian life when i think about god cultivating patience in me and forbearance and kindness and generosity and service and ministry and and prayer okay my wife is not outside of that my wife is first in line for that does that make sense and so the really the wrong thing to do would be as 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 a husband for me to say okay i'm going to grow in, in christian love I'm going to grow in forbearance i'm going to grow in kindness and and graciousness and, and I'm really going to love the people of God really well, but I'm going to get in the car and chew my wife out okay all right that 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 is detrimental to the to the mission of the gospel okay emma my wife is first in line, okay? So so in me living out the gospel, in, in me loving my brother, in me uh being generous and being sacrificial, all of those things, Emma's first, okay? She she's first in line. I I I love her as Christ loves the church. The Bible tells me to love my neighbor as myself. That that's that's here, okay? Love my neighbor as myself, and then the Bible tells me to love Emma. As Jesus loves the church, okay? I need to be taller to illustrate that one, you know? Uh, Way up there, okay? That's higher. That's better. That's bigger, okay? And so so in that context, we plunge into verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all. First thing we need to do this morning, which we didn't need to do this, but we need to do it, is we need to define marriage. What is marriage? My definition for this morning would be a covenant union of one man and one woman for life, okay? A covenant union of one man and one woman for life. Anything outside of that is not marriage, okay? Believers, we we have to understand, God has defined this thing. God has created it. God has defined it. God has set parameters around it. God has told us very clearly what marriage is. And if it does not fall within those parameters, it is not marriage. And we should not call it marriage, and we should not think of it as marriage. Uh, all the time I'm bombarded with folks who are redefining marriage, you know. I talk to couples and I, well, we're not married. But, you know, we really are because we, we, we love one another and we're committed to one another, okay. Listen, I love Pastor Andrew and I'm committed to Pastor Andrew. I'm not married to Pastor Andrew, okay. It's, it's not. That's not what it is. I mean, that's silly. Okay, that's not marriage, okay. Uh, people will tell me things like, I'm married in my heart. Hey, listen, marriage is a covenant, a covenant. Let me prove that to you. Malachi chapter two, verse fourteen. But you say, Why does he not? Because the Lord is witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Covenant is an incredibly significant word in the Bible. It is a binding promise, a binding contract, if you will. It, it, it is a covenant made between two parties with witnesses and, and, and ratified and certified. That, that's, what, that's what marriage is. It's a covenant, okay? It's not a feeling in our hearts. It, it, it may start that way. We may pursue marriage because of that. But that's not what marriage is. And we understand that in every other area of your life, don't we? I mean, we don't get confused about that. You know, let's say you're out looking for a house, and you and your wife want to buy a new house, and so you go, and you, you visit a bunch of houses, and, and you get inside one, and, oh, you know, your wife looks at you, dreamy eyes, you know. You know, look, granite countertops, you know, and look at this, and it's, oh, it's, you know, and you go out in the backyard, and she starts crying, you know, she's like, or you picture our kids climbing in that tree, you know? This is it, you know. And, and you both get in the car and you're, you're driving away, and she's like, I feel it. I feel it in my heart. And he's like, I feel it too, honey. I feel it too. That's our house, you know. All right. Do you own the house? Are you homeowners? You feel it, man. You both, you feel you feel it. You're crying, you know. You feel it. All right. Are you homeowners? Do you wheel the car around and say, get out? This is our house, you know. We're here. Get, you know, this is ours. It's not your house yet, right? There's not been a covenant made. There's not been a contract. There's not been a binding agreement. Okay? That's not your house. And so don't make marriage something that it is not. Okay? Honoring marriage means we honor it as God has created it. Now, again, I wish I didn't have to go here, but I think we really do. Marriage is a covenant union between one man and one woman. It is not. It is not any kind of union between two men or two women. Let me show you that very clearly from the scriptures. Matthew chapter 19, Um, Jesus is talking to his his disciples about divorce in this passage. And I want you to follow his his instructions, okay? Verse 4 of Matthew 19, he says this. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Okay, now that's very important. Jesus goes, when he's talking about divorce, he's talking about marriage, he goes back to the very beginning, he goes back to Genesis, he goes back to the creation account, and he says, I want you to pay attention that when God created mankind, he made them very purposefully and specifically male and female. Why did he do that? Continue the sentence, okay? And said, okay, God said, God made them male and female, and then God said, therefore, very important word, if you see it there, therefore, circle that in your mind therefore so god made them male and female in creation and said to them therefore because i made you male and female a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh Okay, do, do, do you see what the scripture is telling us there? It is telling us that God has made us the way we are. We are made male and female for the purpose of marriage. Now there is a gift of singleness. Paul will go on to talk about that in 1 Corinthians, but but Jesus point here is that God's very design in creation, God has designed us the way we are for the purpose of marriage. Okay? homosexuality is is not marriage. It is not not God's plan. Leviticus 18.22, very clear about that. In fact, I would tell you that homosexuality falls into the other categories of sin in our lives as simply a rejection of God. It it is a problem with God. I really believe that. Romans chapter 1, when you start in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul begins to give a defense for the nature of sin. He's explaining to us what sin is, how sin works, and he talks about a suppressing of the truth, a pushing away of god's truth i don't want truth that's in verse 18 and then then notice i'm going to begin reading in verse 22 claiming to be wise they became fools important word here and exchanged the glory of the immortal god for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles okay exchange you know what it is to exchange right we've talked about this a lot at lincoln avenue when you exchange something you are given something you are offered something that you don't want right I don't want that. I don't want, don't give me that Christmas sweater. I'll take it back. I'll go right to Walmart and I'll, I'll, I'll get me a tool. I'll get a, a ratchet or a screwdriver. I don't want the sweater. I don't want it, right? I don't want, that's what it means to exchange something, okay? And, and, and so claiming to be wise, I became fools and exchange the glory of God. We, we don't want the Lord. God has revealed himself. He's revealed his glory. He's revealed his truth. And sin nature says, I don't want you. I don't want your truth. I don't want your, I, I don't want you. I want something else. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they, again, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Interesting. Verse 26. Next verse. He goes into an illustration of homosexuality, illustrating the principle of not wanting God. Verse 26 says, For this reason God gave them up. To dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women who were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. Verse twenty-eight. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he comes right back. What what's going on here? What, what what's happening here? They don't want God. God gave them up to a debased mind, and then he brings in all the rest of the sins. Verse twenty-nine. They were, all, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice, uh, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malicious, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, okay? All of those things. What are all those things connected to? A rejection of God, folks. We are all in that boat, every one of us. We've said, I don't want God. That, that's what it means to be a sinner. Is we've said, I don't want God. I don't want what you give. I don't want your truth. I want something else. And, that, and that's the result, that's the root of, of all sin, is this rejection of God. And then notice verse 32, man, you see this happening everywhere in America right now. This is happening in our culture. Though they knew God's decree that those who practice these things deserve desire, they not only do them, but here's what's happening among so many, even Christians or professing Christians. They give approval to those who practice them. And we will not do that this morning. We, we will stand on the scriptures and we will say, that's not marriage. That's not God's plan. Okay? Now, let me answer a question that I get asked probably more than any other question on this issue. And I just feel like I need to cover this because so many people are hurting and, and dealing with this. And so I, I want to try to give you a biblical perspective. Do some people have a disposition toward homosexuality? Okay? I would answer that question with another question to you. Okay? My question to you would be, do some people have an inclination toward sin? Okay. Better question, do all people, 100% of us, do we have an inclination toward sin? Are we born with an inclination toward anger and pride and lust and anxiety and fear and greed and, and, and heterosexual immorality? And the answer to that, I cannot think of another answer, I can't think of defending another answer other than, Absolutely, we are born inclined to sin. It's called having a sin nature. Nobody teaches us to sin, okay? We are born bent the wrong way. We are born rejecting God and and going the other way. That's why the psalmist prays in Psalm 119, 36, and 37 Incline my heart. He's praying, God, please, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Give me life in your ways. The psalmist is praying, God, my heart is bent the wrong way. My wanter is broken. Have you ever noticed that? We don't just do wrong things. You know why we do wrong things? Because we want wrong things, right? We don't want what we ought to want. We we don't love what we ought to love. It's called being a sinner. It's called called our sin nature, okay? And so the question is going to go further. Well, are some people inclined towards certain sins more than others? I can't see how we could answer anything but yes, okay? I, I, I know people, I know people that just struggle, Christians, born again believers, but they struggle with unforgiveness. They struggle with anger at a level that I just don't believe I ever have, okay? Uh, and I'm not more righteous. It's not that you know, my mom and dad did a better job. You know, I I just think some people, are they not more inclined toward unforgiveness, you know? I mean, they're in my office. They're believers. They love Jesus. They're trying desperately to forgive those who've hurt them, you know? And, and I'm praying with them and they're they they're gutting it out trying to trust Christ, but it is so hard for them and in my mind I'm thinking man they just said something in Sunday school why don't you just let it go you know I mean I think I let it go you know I just let it go you know but for them it I mean it's it's a struggle are not some people inclined to anxiety and fear at a level that other people aren't yes I, I know people I mean they're they are so terrified and anxious and worried over things that other people don't give a thought to. Is that because those other people are more righteous? No. It's just we're all bent wrongly in different ways, right? We're all inclined towards sin, and that manifests itself in lots of different ways. We're all sinners, but are some people more inclined to certain sins than others? Absolutely. Are some people more inclined to heterosexual immorality than others? It would seem yes. It would seem yes. We all have inclinations towards sin. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus today is that for every one of us, there is hope. In Jesus, there is hope in the work of Jesus, in in the ministry of Jesus, in the death of Jesus, in the life of Jesus to redeem us and to make us new, to forgive our sins and and to start us on the Christian life, which is a process by which we begin to be less and less like me and more and more like Jesus. Right. We begin to deny ourselves and embrace the cross and embrace faith and embrace the word of God. And slowly, what does he do? He changes us. He changes even our desires. How many of you have been Christians a long time? You can, you can say definitively, I used to want that, and God has so changed my desires. He so delivered me. I, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying I don't struggle anymore. But boy, he's, he's changed my wanter. He's, he's given me desires for the right things. Okay, That is the Christian life. Okay, so marriage is a covenant union between one man and one woman for life. And the the, the command here in verse 4, is this, honor marriage, okay? Let marriage be held in honor among all. That is a command to you today as believers. Now, what does that word honor mean? Uh, it's a Greek word, timios. I think it's really interesting. It means costly, precious, of great worth, valuable, respected. But it's interesting, the other places in the New Testament that it's used. Let me give you some examples. First Peter 1, 19, the timios blood of Jesus. It's translated, the precious blood of Jesus. How valuable is the blood of Jesus? Whew. Okay, that's that word honor. Honor. It's precious. It's costly. James 5 7 speaks of, a, of the fruit of one's labor, the fruit, the spiritual fruit of labor. And it calls it the, the, the honorable fruit, the precious fruit. 2 Peter 1 4 talks about the great promises of God, and it calls them the precious, the honorable promises of God. Okay, and so, so this word is a word that describes treating something with great worth. Okay? So as believers at Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church, we want to see marriage, look at marriage, treat marriage with great worth. Now, how do we do that? Well, let me give you some ways. Number one, we treat it like it's a big deal by not entering into it casually. Okay? For a young man and a young woman, or even an older man and an older woman in this church to enter into marriage, that is a big deal. We We should from the time kids are in the nursery at Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church, they should understand that marriage is sacred. Marriage is a big deal. That you, you don't just marry anybody. No, no, you you, you 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 this is a huge undertaking, okay? Solomon, when he writes The book to his son, which in your Bible is the book of Proverbs, okay? When he writes that book, he spends entire chapters, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 31, entire chapters telling his son. He's saying, son, this kind of woman you run from, okay? The woman that talks this way and acts this way and lives this way, you get away. She is death. She is death to you, son. Run. This woman over here, the woman that talks this way and lives this way and loves these things, Son, you run after her, okay? You run away from that one, and you run toward this one. You, 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 you avoid that one, and you marry this one, okay? This one will curse you. This one will bless you. That's what Proverbs is about. And the same could be said to the young lady of the young man, okay? The Bible does great, goes to great lengths to tell us what kind of person you should marry, because marriage is a big deal. Do you remember in in, in Genesis 24, I believe it is, where Abraham is finding a wife for his son Isaac? You know what he does? He gets his best guy. Abraham's got a huge, if you will, corporation that he's running. That's the way we might think of it, okay? Lots of of of, of animals and herds and flocks and, and business, okay? And so he's got this huge and he gets his best servant, his most trusted, the smartest guy. And Abraham's an old man at this time, and he brings in Eliezer, and he says, Eliezer, you look me in the eye here, buddy. You look me in the eye, and you promise me, you swear to me, that you will not get a wife for my son from the pagan nations around. You promise me that. And he does something very significant. If I'm being serious with Jim, I say, Jim Abraham, you and I are making a covenant. You understand me? We shake hands like this, you know. We're looking at each other. We're shaking hands. We're serious. Abraham does way more than that. He grabs Eliezer's hand and he puts it under his thigh. Read it. He does, okay? He puts it right here. And he look at his eyes and he says, You promised me. All right, Jim, let's try that. No, let's not try that. <laughs> you know why we won't try that? Because we're not serious enough about something, all right? All right? It's going to have to be, you know, my daughter's life before I grab Jim's hand and put it under my thigh, all right? I got to be serious. Do you, I know it's kind of funny, but do you get the point? I mean, he is dead earnest. This is essential. Don't just go get any woman, don't just go get a pretty face. I know there's all kinds of Canaanite women around here that, that, that usually might just be just fine. No! You promise me, man, that you will not come back here until you bring a wife back from our home of my family. Very serious. Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. Do we have any in here? Great-great-grandparents, all right? It ought to be the blood-earnest desire of your soul that your kids take marriage incredibly seriously. Why? Because we are commanded right here, let marriage be held in honor among all. What does that mean? It means you marry a believer. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. Let's jump back in there. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? What was the, what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Godly, what's, what's God? God wants godly offspring. 2 Corinthians 6.14, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 7:39, for a widow to remarry, that's fine, you can, but only in the Lord. I mean, the Bible is very clear. Marriage is for a particular thing. And God, God says, take it serious, honor it. Number two. We need to honor marriage by protecting it, nurturing it, caring for it. You know, I would say of my marriage that all the marital conflict between him and I ultimately comes back to sin. Doesn't it? I don't know. Maybe you're different. Maybe you're just like, we cordially disagree about some things and neither one of us is wrong. I don't know. I I mean... I think most of the time when there's, when there's real conflict and trouble, it's because somebody's heart's not right. Somebody's being selfish. Somebody's not being patient. Somebody's not being giving. Somebody's being cruel. Somebody's being self-centered. Someone's not loving Jesus. Right? We got to protect. What does it mean to protect and honor marriage? It means we, we deal with our own sin. We pray for one another. We, we, we at all costs do not harm marriage. Why? Because it is valuable. That's why divorce is such a big deal. That's why the Bible says God hates it, because it destroys something precious. That's why, that's why we hate it. That's why, that's why it tears us up. Because it destroys something precious. And so Lincoln Avenue, I just want to remind you, I want to give you some identity. Here, who are we as a church? One, one, of the, one of the things we are as a church is we are people who who, who defend and honor marriage, okay? Now, on a practical level, what does that mean? On a practical level, that means we are really careful with other people's spouses, okay? We're really careful, not only in purity, we'll talk about that in a minute, but we're really careful to encourage good marriages, okay? Now, here's the reality. I'll just be honest with you. Some people have hard deals in this this arena, okay? Okay? There are some folks that are married to people that are difficult to live with. There are some people that are married to people that are unrepentant in their sin. Uh, They're they're, they're not seeking Christ. They're not loving Christ. And because of that, their marriage produces lots of unhappiness, lots of difficulty, lots of struggle, lots of pain. I mean, that's just a reality. But here's the deal with us, okay? With us, when we see that, all right? Our place is to do everything we can to help that marriage. Our place is never to point out the sin and the the wrongdoing of someone's spouse. I just don't think that's helpful. I I think there's there's a very few small instances where that is necessary, only in a redemptive purpose. But most of the time, here's the reality. That person already knows. (laughs) They already know their spouse is, is, is not living right. They already know, and it's brutal on them. And they need people like us to come alongside and pray for and encourage and point out the good things in their marriage and, and help them fight for, 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 for a marriage that is pleasing to the Lord. We don't ever want to be the kind of people who say, and I hear people say this, I hear Christians say it. I'll tell you what, if my husband ever did that to me, I'll tell you what, I'd, I'd be out of there. my wife ever did that to me, I'd t- I appreciate you sharing your opinion, but don't share it, okay? If if, if that's your heart, keep it to yourself. Why do I say that? Because you don't need anybody else to know that, you know? Because somebody else you're talking to, I've heard people say this in public groups, and it just tears me up because I know that what they said there, there's probably a couple dealing with that. And what did they just say? You might as well leave. You might as well get out. That's what I would do marriage be held in honor among all. God honors marriage. I cannot think of a greater honor to marriage than what God did in Ephesians 5 when he said, the picture of marriage is the picture of Jesus and his church. How can can you honor it more than that? How can you exalt it more? How can you lift it up than, than to give it that picture and to say, what, what marriage should look like is, is, is the way Jesus loves his people, the way he sacrifices for his people, the way he takes care of his people, the way, the way he blesses his people. That's what marriage should look like. And, and I am very aware not all marriages look like, oh, let me rephrase that, no marriage looks that way. Exactly, right? The best of marriages at Lincoln Avenue are pale reflections of this beautiful picture of Jesus' relationship with his church, but it is the picture that we should strive for. Because God honors marriage. Now, let's talk a little bit about sexual purity. Because that's really the way that the Scripture is giving us in this verse that we honor marriage. Verse 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed... Okay, what is the marriage bed? The marriage bed is the sexual relationship between the husband and the wife. Okay? Let the marriage bed be undefiled... For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulteress. A couple definitions here. Sexually immoral, uh, the Greek word is pornos. It is, is the word where we get our word pornography. It is, it is the word for fornication in the Bible. Fornication is sex, a sexual relationship between two people that are not married. Okay, So this would be sex before marriage, um, sex outside of marriage. The next word is adulterous. Adulterous is any sexual relationship between people who are not married to each other but at least one of them is married to someone else, okay? That is what adultery is, all right? Now, very important thing here. Notice that he is not saying that sex is bad or the sexual relationship with the husband and wife is bad. In fact, he says in verse 4, let marriage be held in honor, treated honor, costly, valuable among all, and let the marriage bed, which is the sexual relationship between the husband and wife, be undefiled, okay? I I need to point that out because it, it, it burns me up a little bit when people give Give the devil credit for good things, okay? I don't think the devil should get any credit for anything good, all right? And 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 a lot of people do this this very thing, okay? They, they divide things up into God's stuff and the devil's stuff. I'm not even saying you should do this. I think it's really hard to do this, okay? But people do it, okay? So you got God's stuff over here. What is God's stuff? Well, God's stuff is the church, right? Loving each other, potluck dinners, um, you know, blizzards at Dairy Queen. That's all God's, right? You know, uh, Rocky Mountains, I'm going to put them there. That's God's stuff, all right? You know, what do you got over here with the devil stuff? Oh, man, you got war and crime and violence and and... And assault and stealing and vegas. You know, people put Vegas there. Again, I don't know that you should do that. Well, here's my question. Where do you put sex? Where do you where do you is it is it god is it is in God's pot is it God stuff or is it in the devil's stuff? All right. Let me tell you very clearly the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife is is of God. It is a good gift of from God. It, it is the picture of, of of the cementing, of the cleaving between the husband and the wife. In Genesis 2.24 says, man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. The two will become one flesh and then God says, I show up at every wedding. Matthew 19, he says and what God has joined together Let no one separate. God does something in marriage that is unique to the marriage relationship, and he gives the sexual relationship as something that is unique, should be unique to the marriage relationship, only for marriage, for the purpose of of drawing together the husband and wife in an emotional bond that lasts for a lifetime. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 Tells us that, that, that the sexual relationship serves a a, a defensive purpose in marriage, a, a a redemptive sanctifying purpose in marriage. First Corinthians chapter seven verse. Let's begin in verse two. But because of the temptation to sexual morality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. And the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except for a, a a time, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then notice the reason, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. God uses the sexual relationship in marriage in a redemptive, sanctifying, battling, temptation way in the marriage relationship. In fact, I would say this. I get this from Proverbs 5. I think the the greatest protection against adultery... Is for a husband and wife to learn to rejoice and delight in one another. When Solomon writes to his son, and he's writing uh, to his son against adultery, he spends several chapters here just driving this home, giving his son illustrations, stories, examples, okay? In the middle of that, notice what he says to his son. Proverbs five fifteen. drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. And then verse 18 is a key verse. verse. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice, rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely dear, a graceful though, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why, why, my son, should you be intoxicated with a forbidden woman? And embrace the bosom of an adulteress. Okay, you you see what he's telling his son? He's telling his son, son... When you get married, you need to rejoice in your wife, okay? You need to to make that your mission that you are going to find things in your wife to rejoice in. You're going to rejoice in her features, in her connection to Jesus. You're going to rejoice when she reads her Bible. You're going to rejoice that she cares for your kids. You're going to rejoice that she cooks dinner for you, even if it's a TV dinner. You're going to rejoice that she works hard. You're going to rejoice that that she's yours, that she belongs to you. You're going to rejoice in her Wives, you're going to rejoice in your husband. You're going to rejoice. You're going to find good qualities in him. And the reason that this ought to be easy is, guys, and especially talking to you, when you get married and say, I do, if you've you've been to a wedding that I've done, I usually point this out. From that point on, there's only one woman in the world, all the others disappeared. There's only one for you. There's only one in which you are to rejoice in and and only one you're to delight in. Only one you're to be covenantly bound to in the sexual relationship. There's only one gal. There's one and a bunch of hairy backed guys in the rest of the world. That's all there is, okay? You know, and so you look at all them dudes and you're not looking at any other ladies because because you're not to, right? I mean, we're not to look at other ladies in that way, right? That's called lust. Jesus explained that very clearly. So you got all these guys, and you got one gal, and man, she looks great, doesn't she? I mean, wow! I mean, whatever she looks like, that's your standard of beauty, okay? Whatever she looks like, that—that's what is beautiful. That—that's what you rejoice in. That, that that thats what you pursue. Ladies, you do something in this area that irritates me, and and I point it out every chance I can, so you'll stop doing it. But I, I do a lot of marriage counseling, and, and I see this happening over and over again. And the husband will say something like, I think my wife is beautiful. I, I, I'm, I'm very attracted to her. I think she's lovely. And the wife will immediately discount that. She'll say, he does not. Yeah, you're, just, you're just saying that. What do you want? Just, you know. Now, what, what is the wife doing at that point? She, she is inviting her husband to compare her to the rest of the women in the world—exactly what he's not to do. Okay, I, I, I mean, you, you can't say something is not beautiful unless you are inviting one to compare it to everything else. Correct? Let's say that you've only, let's say you've lived in Woodward your entire life. You've never been outside the city limits, never, not once. Okay, and you're out hiking on our on our walking trail between Downs and Twenty Second Street. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and kind of goes in and out of the woods, and you're hiking there, and I come and talk to you, and you tell me, this is the most beautiful place on earth. This is the greatest hike in the world. I love to hike. My family, we hike this all the time. It, it is beautiful. You know what I'm liable to tell you? There's other places better than this, all right? Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, I've been on mountaintops, you know, cream this, okay? Whoa, 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 what did I just do, though? In order, in order to tell you that, I had I had to compare to something else, right? Now the reality is, if you've never been out of Woodward, actually, it, it's a pretty it's a pretty walk. There's there's a ponderosa pine. I don't know if you guys if you've been in there enough. There is there's a ponderosa pine that is just a beautiful tree in, in that little that little along downs when you weave in and out of the woods there. It's right on the left side. It's a beautiful tree. It's it's huge. Now, now, if you've been to the giant redwoods in California, it's a small tree, okay? But but if if but he's just walking on our trail, do you see what I'm saying? What, what, is, what, is, what is Solomon saying? Rejoice in your wife. This, this, is, this, is your, your, this is your water. This is your I mean, he's rejoice in your wife. Cultivate that. Why? Let marriage be held in honor among all. Now. Immorality, adultery, lust, all of those sins distort the sexual relationship from something that is a blessing and beautiful and redeeming and sin-fighting into something that dishonors God and, listen, that destroys people. You've got to just trust God on that. Sexual sin destroys. It doesn't redeem. I don't care what you feel in your heart. I don't care what. You know, the here's what the Bible says: it destroys. In fact, the Bible says because of of the place that God has given it, because of the of the emotional connection that it brings about, because of that, sexual sin destroys and harms people in ways that other sin doesn't. Okay, First Corinthians six fifteen. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? If you're a believer, you're connected to Jesus. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute never do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her for as it is written the two will become one flesh but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him flee sexual immorality every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body I think what Paul is saying there is that, that this sin leaves deep scars because of because of of what God has made it to be, what God has made it to do. David would agree with that. David, a man after God's own heart, fell into sexual immorality, into adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. The next chapter, David is confronted with his sin by the word of God. He repents of his sin and turns back to God. But David suffered the scars of that sin the rest of his life. A couple years ago, I've told you this before, let me tell you it again. It was meaningful to me, still is. Man up one night, we put a whiteboard up, and I said, all right, guys, we're going to use me as an example. What would be the consequences on my life if I were to commit adultery? And guys began to shout out stuff. And we began to write. And we began, we, a lot of guys started with my relationship with God, and then that moved into my relationship with Emma, and then to Haddon, and then to my girls, and then to my friends, and then to you guys, and my community, and everybody I'd ever shared the gospel with. Ten minutes later, that whiteboard, there's no room to write on it. And we weren't done yet. How do we battle sexual sin? First of all, just real quickly. Realize that when your small group leader, when your accountability partner, when your Sunday school teacher, when your spiritual friend confronts you on this issue, you know what always happens it is emotionally charged. Always, always. It's never. It's always. It's never good. It's never pretty. Seventeen years pastor here. Lots of times, never good. You know why? Again, because of the nature of the sin. It's an emotionally charged thing. Okay. When they confront you, the most popular response is you don't love me. And I'm telling you, the biblical response is: someone confronts you, they're probably the only person that loves you. Maybe not the only, but. But that's evidence of that they indeed they take this they take this passage seriously that God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. The Bible tells us that those who live in habitual sin, and they won't enter the kingdom of God. Habitual meaning continual, unrepentant sin. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, or the adul- adulterers or adulterers or many who practice homosexuality, or thieves or greedy or drunkards or revilers or swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, but does that mean we can't be forgiven? No, look at verse 11. And such were some of you. If we were to have a show of hands, which we are not, but if we were, there'd be a lot of hands raised as far as sexual sin. And yet, listen what Paul says. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. How do we combat it? I want to give you one key way. We could do lots of other practical things, but I want to give you this thing from Hebrews, okay? So so we're going right back to where we've been. Hebrews eleven six 6 talks about faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Remember what faith is? Faith is this conviction. God won't let me down. He won't let me down. What he's got for me is better. It's better than what I have for myself. Okay, that's the conviction of faith. And in Hebrews 11, remember, he gave us example after example of that. Abraham. Abraham's called to leave his country, leave his home, leave his nation. Okay, why does he do that? Because he, he believes, he trusts God. Verse 10, he's looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 16, He desires a better country. That is a heavenly one. God is not ashamed to be called his God for he has prepared a city for him. Moses, Moses, how was Moses able to to leave the palace life and the riches of Egypt and, and associate with the people of God? Verse 24, when Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. And what I'm telling you is the exact same principles that work in sexual sin. In sexual sin, we have a choice. We we can trust our our desires that we know are bent the wrong way. We can trust what the world says that we know lies to us. Or we can trust God. That that I'm going to deny myself this because God's got something better. In the confines of marriage... God has a blessing for me. God has a reward for me. And I trust him. It all comes back to that right there, doesn't it? I trust him. I trust him. He just doesn't let us down. He just doesn't. I I love Mark 10, where Jesus is talking about people making sacrifices, which this isn't even talking about sinful ones. But he says in Mark ten twenty nine, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brother or sister or mother or father, children, lands for my sake for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands, persecutions and the age to come, eternal life. He just won't let us down, guys.